Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Wednesday, January 29th. For those of you who want truly independent conservative talk, news, views, a movement, a vision on what to do, believe it or not, there are things in life more important than the ridiculous impeachment trial. There are things that affect our civilization, our communities, our neighborhoods that we talk about every day. Drugs, crime, illegal immigration, gangs, the debt bomb. We have a piece out we're going to have today really going through the CBO report on how there's eye-popping debt until until end of times. Trillion-dollar deficits indefinitely. Under Republicans, this was set into motion under Republicans. Folks, I am sick and tired of the pale pastels. I'm sick and tired of having a Democrat party that is more radical than ever where you would expect the contrast between them and the Republicans to be wider than ever, yet you have to look with a magnifying glass to see where the differences are. On crime, our Republicans, we need criminal justice reform. Immigration, just today, our friends at Breitbart, John Binder, put out an article, 123 Republicans, including about half the GOP senators, demanding that Trump's DHS, which has already brought in record numbers of low-skilled workers, more than under Obama, need to bring in even more. Um, We got the Koch brothers out there. Uh, Now they've announced they're going to run ads uh, on behalf of Amnesty. Uh, They're donating money to so many conservative organizations. When do issues and outcomes actually matter? Friends, impeachment's going to be over very soon, okay? What is your dream scenario? Trump gets reelected, Republicans win back the House. Here's the problem. If you don't elect the right Republicans, you're going to wind up where we were the first two years of Trump's presidency, which was we got absolutely nothing aside from what Trump was able to do executively. But then you have the whole courts and Republicans agree to judicial supremacism. That's another issue we spoke about yesterday. What, what does that get us? The same leaders, the same rank and file members, enough conservatives that could fit into a phone booth. We need to change the game. And one of the things that I cannot understand for the life of me is that conservative media is endlessly focused on the Democrat primary. And they're focused on, I mean, especially when Iowa heats up uh, tomorrow, um, I mean, next week and the weeks after New Hampshire, South Carolina, it's going to be all about them. But here's the deal. What about the GOP debates, the GOP primaries? Every single day, there is a GOP debate. What do I mean by that? Every single day, there are policies being debated in state legislatures, in Congress, in executive agencies, where especially under Trump, conservatives have a hundred times more influence in shaping those outcomes than they do the Democrat debate. You could get Republicans to stop doing stupid things. But yet there's no focus. Oh, the Democrat primary. A lot of people don't realize that this year being a presidential year, the congressional primaries are really, really early, as early as, as, as next month, beginning in many states. We sleep through these primaries. You have a lot of these open Republican districts, a lot of Republican House members retired. 
and there's 10, 20 candidates running and people sleep through it. But I'm here to tell you that the gulf between electing a Chip Roy type of Republican versus a liberal Republican, a swamp Republican, is just as wide, if not wider than the gulf between <clears throat> electing a Democrat or Republican in the general election. Yet we sleep through it. If we were to get involved in these primaries, you could have the difference of 50 more conservative House members, a handful of more conservative Senate members, and you have a very different second term of President Trump than you did the first term. Why is there no focus on it? Well, look, I can't affect what other people do, but I can affect what we do here. We've done this in previous cycles, and we're going to kick, kick off our Meet the Candidates series. And to be clear, just the rules of the game, in the past, I would endorse candidates, and after that, I would bring candidates on the show. Now, it's very hard to get to know someone to the point where I can endorse them. You know, I can endorse issues. Men are fallible, and they wind up embarrassing you. Um, but on the other hand, to run away from this is tough because you leave a lot of good opportunities on the table. So what I'm going to do is where I see people that appear to be in the ballpark of what you guys are probably looking for, I'm going to invite them on. Some have reached out to me and have asked to come on. And I'll have them on, and you guys will get to decide if this is something that um, is sincere, if it's beyond the typical GOP talking points, if this is going to be a guy that will actually move the ball forward on our issues. That's up to you to decide. I'm going to try to give you guys access to these candidates. It's an honor to bring on, as our first candidate, Greg Hill from Texas, Texas's 22nd district. This is the suburban area in southern Houston, right south of Houston, Sugarland, Texas area. And Greg is a very interesting candidate for a number of reasons. He served the country in the 90s as a U.S. Border Patrol agent. Not so common to have a Border Patrol agent run for Congress. Um, he was later elected to three terms as the Perland City Councilman. Very much local, local governance. Then he was a, he was a prosecutor, a local judge in Brazoria um, County, again just south of Houston. Judge, prosecutor, border agent. What are some of the issues we've talked about? Safety, security, sovereignty, um, preserving our suburban communities. Remember, Republicans are losing suburban voters in droves, and I believe that is political malfeasance, malpractice. Democrats are, I mean, suburban voters don't want to ban straws and embrace Hamas and MS-13. I'm sorry, that's not what they want. They don't want mass jailbreak. They want on net to get tougher on crime. Do we have candidates running on this? Do we have candidates harnessing this? Well, to find out today, we have Greg Hill on. Again, he's one of many candidates running in this open seat. It's being vacated by Pete Olson, Republican congressman who is retiring. With no further ado, Greg Hill, it's an honor to have you on. How you doing? Daniel, thank you. And I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, thanks for sitting through that whole uh, monologue there. I want to really turn it, it over to you so people could hear from you. Um, Obviously, it's not every day that you have a border agent run for Congress. So, you know, I'm really going to be interested. Our audience is going to be interested to get your take on on what is going on there. Uh, Congress has passed numerous statutes that are on the books that demanded codified into law that we achieve 100 percent operational control of our border. 
which you would think would be pretty obvious. We talk about borders of other countries. Why is it that to this day, we don't have that control? The drug cartels control the border on both sides of the Texas border. Star County, Hidalgo County, they're in the RGV. They have their operations going on. Um, the mass numbers did die down after spiking last last year, but they're still higher than they were in 2017 when Trump came in and got the numbers down. Is this just about money and resources, or is this also about policy and strategy at the border as well? Yeah, well, it's a great question. I've told people jokingly, but in large part, it's true. The only thing that has changed since I was a Border Patrol agent 25 years ago is my age and my waist size. I mean, that's, uh, it's 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 a little bit of both to answer your question. I mean, obviously, the Democrats have um, a vested interest in allowing open borders. They want to do everything they can to ensure that they continue to thrive as Democrats and have these votes vote for them, which they would be otherwise uh, not not allowed to vote. But I mean, there's there's a big push to allow illegals to vote, allow convicted felons to vote. We need to have a wall and we've got a wall in certain locations, such as in San Diego, Yuma, uh, Tucson and El Paso. And if you take a look at the wall in those locations, illegal immigration has declined by 90 to 92 percent. So it's 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 evident that a wall is good. I would have loved to have had a wall whenever I was a border patrol agent. But we need much more than that. It's a comprehensive plan. And the problem is, for 25 years, nothing has been done. Nothing at all. And we just really need to focus on that because we're going to wake up one day and it's going to be too late if we don't if we don't adhere to it. No, absolutely too late. I mean, every day I see the CBP press releases, previous convicted uh, sex offenders, um, MS-13 members. Obviously, you have ICE doing good work with the limited resources, deporting They've deported about 1.6 million criminal aliens over the last decade. That's a lot of bad dudes, but a lot of them come back. They come back through the border, um, convicted sex offenders, all sorts of really bad people. And what I've heard from agents, and I'm curious to, to get this from your angle before we get more into congressional stuff, is that for too long, CBP has treated this like a law enforcement thing. Well, I see on the censors that Someone has interdicted. Someone, someone has infiltrated. A crime has been committed. Let me go and investigate. Rather than more of a quasi-military mindset of hold the line, secure perimeter, which we're very much capable of doing when we fight overseas, that belligerents don't cross a line. Is there, is there more of a strategy update that's needed for, for Border Patrol? Yeah, well, there, there is, and and... The fact of the matter is, is that those that are here illegally have committed a crime and the the left does not see it that way. Uh, and I get that sometimes folks coming over here illegally are just coming to make a better life for themselves. That's fine. But we still have laws in place that say you have to do it legally. And so they need to be treated as such. Those that are here illegally need to be deported. County, county court, law number one in probate court. Oftentimes, I would have illegals come to my court if they had picked up a DWI, for example. We had to read, according to Texas state law, when they took a plea bargain and got placed on probation or spent some time in jail, whatever the case may be, we had to make sure that one, especially if they were indigent, that the county paid for an attorney. Wow. So that's taxpayer dollars. And then also that they had an interpreter in court because they don't speak English. That's taxpayer dollars. And then we had to read, or I had to read as a judge, that they 
understood that by pleading guilty or no contest, they could be deported. I would always say, actually, this is wrong. You can be deported just because you're here illegally. It doesn't matter that you committed a crime. So you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset change. We have to really get serious about this. Again, not that we hate immigration. And, we're, and that's what the Democrats try to do. They try to demonize the Republican Party and say that we're against immigration. It's just not true. We're for legal immigration, but illegal immigration, especially the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the drugs, the gangs, that stuff needs to go away. We need to keep bad people out of our country. And bad people would, in, would include those that are not doing it legally. So, so it's just a paradigm shift. So moving to interior enforcement, interior enforcement, you come into Congress. What I have found to me one of the most shocking failures of the Republican trifecta control for two years, and there were yeah. many failures, is that you had a budding movement that exploded during that time of sanctuary fugitive, what I call neo-Confederate cities. I'm sure as a conservative, we, you, know, you believe, we all believe in localism. But there, our founders didn't believe in localism in a vacuum. They believed in a federal system with each having its respective appropriate powers. Now, in general, more things than are currently done at a local level need to be done at a local level. But Madison talked about in Federalist 46, the need to move from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. One of the big reasons was that some states wouldn't bring in, quote, obnoxious aliens, which you would call our criminal aliens today, um, under looser standards and mess up the rest of the federal union. And... What we have is states that are openly violating 8 U.S.C. 1324, harboring, harboring, concealing, inducing, encouraging, shielding from detection um, all over a massive numbers of criminals. We saw ICE's press release, uh, press conference about New York City. I'm sure you saw 200 um, homicide charges among those subject to detainers in one fiscal year, um, 2,500 homicide charges nationwide in fiscal year 2019. Um and they're harboring them, and Congress is doing nothing about it. What would you do as a member of Congress to make that a more prominent issue? Yeah, well, first of all, you're absolutely correct. It's a huge issue. We need to get these folks to assimilate, come through the front door, do it the right way. If we don't, they're never going to learn about America, and then eventually America would not be the America that we know it. And then where are we going to immigrate to? So this is a huge, huge issue. Specifically, what needs to be done, we need more agents so we need more boots on the ground. We need more technology. We need more immigration judges because some of these deportation probable cause hearings or asylum cases are backlogged for a year and a half or more. And, and we need to streamline the process for permanent residency. So it's also hypocritical for those Republicans that have been up there in Congress to argue on the one hand to come through the front door and do it the right way. When what I saw and what they're still doing is those illegals can pay a coyote and come across the border for four or five thousand dollars come over here and not pay taxes and make cash and their kids go to public school for free or they have a baby and it's a $5 million Medicaid baby that we have to pay for and they're sending their money back home. And again, it's just unreported income versus someone that's coming legally and they pay seven, six, seven thousand $7,000 to do it the right way, fill out six, seven inches of paperwork. It takes them seven to eight years to get their permanent residency. They're paying taxes the entire time. So why would they do that when they can pay four or $5,000 and just have all the money they want? So we have to, it's hypocritical to say, do it the right way when we're not trying to fix the system to incentivize them to do it the right way. So if we're going to be for illegal immigration, let's fix that and let's Let's work to a permanent residency and let's keep all the bad folks out. So we just, we just need to get into the statute itself and really have some meaningful immigration reform. 
Sure. And and one of the things that bothers me, you mentioned about more immigration judges, but but the problem with that is that as I always joke around, you can't you, you can't litigate your way out of an invasion. When you have cartels orchestrating mass numbers coming over, um you can't I mean, as you said, we're a sovereign nation and you have no right to come here that way, no matter what, no matter the circumstances. That sentiment was actually codified into law right around when you became a border agent. 1996, Congress passed IRA-IRA, Senate passed it by voice vote unanimously. Joe Biden, you know, supported it. Um, Dick Durbin, all these guys. President Clinton signed it into law. One of the provisions was expedited removal. And the notion was that if you cannot prove to the satisfaction of an INS, now an ICE agent, that you were resided here for two consecutive years, right. you are out without any access to an immigration judge, must let, much less an Article Three federal judge, which they're all going to now. How do we get back to that? Yeah, well, I think the way you get back to it, because it was like that whenever uh, I was a Border Patrol agent in the mid-90s, we deported them. Immediately. <laughs> I mean, we had to house them and give them some granola bars and things like that. Right. But then they got deported. We need to get back to that. I mean, again, from an asylum standpoint, to be able to ascertain whether or not it's a true asylum situation, that's where we need the immigration judges and there shouldn't be a backlog. But tied up with those kinds of matters, they need to be deported immediately. They've been they've been in this country for less than two years and some of them for less than a month. And then that's the problem, too. I mean, it was like playing Red Rover, Red Rover, let little Johnny come over. You deport them, they come back in a month and a half. We shouldn't tie up our court system trying to ascertain whether or not they should be deported. Deport them. They're here illegally. Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's and, and I think this has been proven by this past year um, to move on. I'd be remiss not to discuss this, given that, you know, you are a local prosecutor, um, obviously worked in local government and uh, a, a local judge. There's this movement that is just puzzling to me. Um, I, I can't figure it out. We had um, a massive crime problem in this country for a number of decades, really crystallizing the 70s and 80s. Reagan made it one of his top three priorities to fight this, and he pushed um, laws that were largely responsible for taking bad guys off the street and the inspired states to do the same thing. And beginning in the early 90s, a miracle happened and crime tumbled. And it tumbled and tumbled. Finally, crime murdered down 60-65% for two decades. Beginning very quietly, 5 to 12 years ago, depending on the state, a bunch of, a bunch of these just NGOs started working on criminal justice reform. We lock up too many people. Mind you, even at the peak of incarceration, every city you could point to endless people that are violent as anything, repeat offenders, that would always slip through the 50 million loopholes, you know, that they weren't locked up enough. But it was too much. And they started dismantling every aspect of criminal justice. And it really has accelerated the last few years. And we're seeing it across the board that crime in most places is going up some places very significantly some places not as much so far but certainly the downward trend has really stopped in most places we have the insanity of new york and california but as you well know right where you are mm -hmm. above where you are harris county the same let people go without any bail mm -hmm. repeat offenders yeah. no matter how violent they are they come back reoffend, and yet i am lectured to by 90% of Republicans I see that somehow on net, the system is too tough on crime. What am I missing? 
Well, you're not missing anything. I think you're right. You're right on the you're hitting the nail right on the head. Here, here, here's part of the problem. You've got this bail reform and we, we are seeing it here in Harris County where convicted felons are released on a PR bond. That, that's just crazy. Or uh, there's a new policy now in Harris County where if you get stopped for possession of marijuana, which would otherwise be a jailable offense, or at least you should be arrested for class B misdemeanor or higher, rather than arrest the individual, they're letting the individual go, providing like a ticket. And then if you take a marijuana awareness class within 30 days, your case is dismissed. Just this morning, the Houston Chronicle front page of the Houston Chronicle, there's an article where people are angry because these are restaurant owners angry because their restaurants keep getting broken into. And this is incredible. There's just numbers and numbers of restaurants are getting burglarized and robbed. And that's a, that's a huge issue. And so I don't know the statistics on all that as a, you know, how it all pings off one another, be it from a marijuana decriminalization standpoint. Uh, And again, that's kind of a way for the elected DA here to skirt the legislature who has not decriminalized marijuana in the state of Texas, by the way. But uh, it's 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 just something that we need to make sure that we we don't lose sight of. These are criminals. We have um, we have bail for a reason. We have bonds for a reason. We have a schedule for a reason. And some people are entitled to a bond. Some people are entitled to a much higher bond. I mean, I had local justice of the peace courts whenever I would set someone on probation, for example, as a judge or even put them in jail for a little a little bit of time. If they violated the terms and conditions of, of their probation, when it came back to me, I no bonded them. I didn't give them a bond at all because they violated their probation. And so they can hire an attorney and they can argue before me at that point in time to determine whether or not they need to go to jail since they violated their probation. So we need to be tough on crime because these are people that have committed a crime and they've admitted guilt or they've been found guilty by their peers. So Sure. And, and, and I mean, marijuana is the, is the least of it. I'm finding even just straight up the, the four major violent crime categories where it's just it's just catch and release. They get very little time. Yeah. You know, it winds up being a third degree assault and a third degree robbery and then the early release and then the probation. They violate their parole, but we're reluctant to put them back because, oh, we can't add to that prison population. Um, my question is a lot of this is obviously localized and local state state government, but you're running for Congress. And I will tell you, I mean, if you're not aware of what you're going into, it is a one directional velocity there. So there is one school of thought. The school of thought is that we are way overboard and too tough on locking people up. Even now, that is the the prevailing thought among both parties. Um, they even sucked President Trump into this, even though he clearly thought it was dumb. And I think there's reports now he felt it was a mistake. Um, Political had an article on that. But there really are a lot of things that are federal. Um, federal courts, as you all know, as, as a lawyer, you're a judge. Every single term at the Supreme Court, certainly lower courts, they're poking more holes in the system, creating more BS rights for criminals that absolutely did not exist when the founding was there. Um, You have them gutting every single aspect of the Armed Career Criminal Act, um, where you have now this Johnson ruling where so many people who are convicted under crimes of violence are being let go. And these are real. I mean, you can't hide behind like, oh, low level, nonviolent first time, you know, that whole chicanery there. Um, and they're being let go. Uh, Tom Cotton had a bill to fix this, but I'm seeing nobody pushing this. Would you be a voice to actually close some of these loopholes rather than doing jailbreak? No, I agree. And um, I, I would support legislation. I, I, 
I saw Tom Cotton, as a matter of fact, on Meet the Press this past uh, weekend. He didn't mention that bill, but I've I've looked at it. I would support that. And here's the other thing, not to not to beat a dead horse, but to tie it back to immigration. You know, I, oftentimes, specifically, if I would see an illegal in my court, let's just say again for a DWI or let's say it's an assault causing bodily injury, family violence. What would happen is, is by statute, you're entitled pro- to probation. Well, again, keep in mind you're here illegally. So then you go on probation. Let's just take the example of the DWI. You go on probation. Now you violate your probation or you finish probation, but you pick up a second DWI. Well, then the second DWI, you might have some minimal jail time at the county court at law level. It's still a misdemeanor in Texas. So you go on probation again, generally. The third DWI, you might have to spend 10 days in the county jail, but you're entitled to probation by law, by statute, if you do not have a prior felony conviction. So again, this is three DWIs in the instance of this example with an illegal alien, and they have been here for all three DWIs when they should have been deported because they were illegally to begin with. These kind of bills, especially if we can do something at the federal level to make sure that that's not permissible, that they should be deported immediately, uh, stuff like that. Because again, you can kill someone by the time you have your felony DWI. You could kill them on your first DWI. Let's prevent these situations. It's very dangerous. I mean, it's, it's serious. It's very dangerous. I, I mean, I'm glad you touched on that. This is one of my big themes on this show. From a public policy redressability standpoint, it's not that crime committed by an illegal, let's say an illegal murders and a citizen murders, that pound per, per, per pound it's more or less tragic or evil or whatever. But from a public policy standpoint, you just hit the nail on the head. The truth be told, we all know our system on net is too weak on crime. There's too many people. There's not, forget about second chances. There's a hundred chances for a lot mm-hmm. of these people. And the reality is recidivism is a huge problem. They're going to be cycling in and out. They're going to be committing more crimes. But when it comes to other countries' criminals, I mean, should we all, I don't care if you want 10 million immigrants a year, which I certainly would disagree with, but if you're a big immigration expansionist or, you, or you're more of a restrictionist, but we should all agree that the first crime committed by someone here illegally should be the last crime because we shouldn't have to deal with other countries' recidivism. I, but I'm shocked. It's funny you tell me that. It's not just in sanctuary cities, even in red states. I see all the time an egregious crime committed by an illegal. I look, and like they had, yeah, DUIs, arrested for assault. I was like, how do they keep cycling right. in and out of the criminal justice yeah. system? Yeah, no, it's it's a huge problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem unless we do something legislatively and actually have, you know, generally you have Border Patrol agents along the border, naturally, uh, both Canadian and Mexican. We need to work on that interior enforcement. No question about that. And it's one of the yeah. biggest threats to our nation, that and the national debt. And if we don't do something about it now, we're going to wake up and it's going to be too late. You know, I was watching a show just uh, last week from 1981 where Phil Donahue was interviewing a brand new mayor, small town in Vermont. And the title of the YouTube channel was uh, or the, the article, rather, the video was Socialism in America. And it was Bernard Sanders from 1981 who just got elected mayor in this town in Vermont. I can't remember the small town, but they kind of were joking about the fact that he is a socialist. And he said on that show with Phil Donahue that he's a socialist. He's not a capitalist. But look, it's not a joke. I mean, he's running for president today. This is crazy. I mean, folks, if we don't wake up, it's going to be a huge issue. So let me ask you this. Like I started out the show, what's very puzzling is this. Let's just say they nominate someone like a Bernie Sanders. You would think, you would think we would have an opportunity um, to do what the Tories did in England 
where when the Labour Party nominated a guy like Corbyn, who is extremely, extremely radical, out of touch, um, and really have a nice windfall, and not just Trump get reelected, but actually grow big margins in Congress. But instead, we're seeing, and, and this is what's very puzzling, and I'd love to see your answer to this. I live right outside of Baltimore, which is a lot more liberal than where you live. Yet everyone I know in these neighborhoods, they don't believe in those values. They don't live lives that way. Um, like I said, they're not for embracing Hamas and MS-13 and letting out criminals and criminal aliens in sanctuary cities and banning straws. That's just not what they're about. Um, maybe some aren't as conservative as, as me, but they're, they're not about that. How is it that in this era when the Democrats are that far left, we are bleeding – Areas like where you live in, so suburban Houston, suburban Dallas, suburban Atlanta, what is happening there, and how do you think we could change that? Well, I I, I think what we have can we've got to continue to push is what I tell Mike. I've got a twelve year old girl and a nine year old uh, boy, and I tell them because it's true that happiness comes from that which gives you eternal purpose. You have to figure out what that eternal purpose is for you. But uh, understanding where we are uh, as Americans and understanding where we've come from, meaning what this country was founded upon, if you cannot acknowledge and embrace the fact that we all have our meaning and our purpose around the world, people look to America and we have our meaning and our purpose on these ideas of conservatism, liberty, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, the ability to go out and make as much money as you want and do and give as much money as you want and do and do do all the good that you 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 want to do. I know it sounds like pie in the sky and fluff but no what is happening is you're getting all these folks coming over here illegally and they they don't know about America. You have people that are young people that are being educated in our colleges that are very liberal and they're not learning about the ideals of what it means to be an American and what uh, it means to to be a capitalistic society based on the free market and 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 as a result we're 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 losing our identity. So I, and you see this in the in the big urban sprawl. So we need to get back to those modernized or some say modern suburban values. We need to embrace where we are and where we came from as a country, um, and and really and really just push that. Uh, so I hope that answers it. But that's that's yeah. I mean th- that's that's the thing. It's it just you would think it's a natural fit for suburban voters, um, but again, I, I think Republicans have failed to push any compelling agenda accentuating what the left is doing distinguishing themselves from it a lot of people i mean people i know in my area they don't even know they're like they, they're, they're letting out criminals in new york they didn't know because they passed it in a budget bill um and people didn't know until it started happening and i think you know this is part of the problem when republicans somewhat agree with what they're doing on a lot of these issues so you're not exactly going to accentuate the radicalism of the other side because you you know it's not in contention you're not fighting it um yeah well let, let me but, just but say that's, this that's the Yeah. yeah, So like, you know, it used to be it it used to be cool to be conservative. You remember back in the days of Reagan. I mean, there was a show. Fox and it was he he was a high school kid and it was cool to be a conservative. He'd show up in the kitchen with his briefcase and his tie. And it it still needs to be cool to be conservative because what what we need to do and I'm trying to do it here uh, in my district. But we need to be explaining to these young Democrats that, hey, listen, it might sound good free college tuition for all. But how are we going to pay for that? I mean, realize that we are $23 trillion in debt currently. And just last year, our annual deficit was $1 trillion. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. This is a thing that's going to 
keep us as Americans and we need to work together. And so we shouldn't be spending money like, for example, there's a thing called NED, the National Endowment for Democracy, where we spend $113 trillion just giving our money away to the rest of the world to try to promote democracy. We need to take a look and comb through the budget and try to figure out how we can make things better. And we need to be telling these young folks that, hey, look, if you don't do something about it, you're going to wake up and You're sure. here for a reason. Um, so, you know. Just broadly speaking, we're going to wrap this up here, running out of time. You, you look at the failures of the first two years where, again, Republicans controlled the House. There's nothing There's nothing new here. They just controlled it. They had the Senate. Um, Planned Parenthood wasn't defunded, despite the videos that came out, and then they won all three branches. You know, this is not a matter of overturning abortion, which is a, a bigger issue. This was such a small potatoes, just merely stop funding a private entity engaging in baby harvesting, uh, organ harvesting, um, that that wasn't ended. Um, the budgets they passed spent more money than any time under Obama, and it's continuing. Um, you look at health care. Uh, one Republican after another, they're basically they love Medicaid and think it's awesome, just not as much as what the Democrats want. I mean, that that really was the big, big impediment to repealing Obamacare. Again, you have these open seats, 10 Republicans run. Oh, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. Oh, look at AOC. We get it. And then we come in, Republicans get elected, and nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm the only candidate in my race that has actually cut taxes, balanced a budget, prioritized spending. We had a $200 million budget for the city of Pearlands, the largest city in the district. And so we, we need to get folks up there that understand what it takes to do that. We need a balanced budget amendment in Congress. We need to stop spending, stop sending money to these foreign countries that, 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 that seek to do us harm. And we need to really just comb through this budget and try to figure out how we can cut taxes. And pro- we don't have a revenue problem. We've got a spending problem. You know, someone was saying, I was looking at some estimates the other day, because you're right, the 2019 bipartisan budget's got $740 billion set for non-discretionary defense spending and $640 billion for the rest. And so that's that's more than, than what we've ever spent before uh, in an annual budget. And so someone needs to look at all that and figure out we're constitutionally mandated to spend money on national defense. Let's do so. But let's revamp these social programs. Do we need to have a Department of Education that's so massive when we're looking to get localized education? Do we need to have Social Security that's so massive when maybe we can figure out ways to have people reinvest privately? I mean, let's let's figure these things out. Uh, let's take a look at these things, like I mentioned, like Ned. We also spend $93 billion to uh, to make China better. I mean, these are our, these are our tax dollars. I mean, this is this is silly stuff. And I remember when I was on council, the chief of police came to me and said, Greg, we need 16 new officers when it was only budgeted for two. I was a senior council member and we were a five member council back then. So I could count. I knew I needed two other votes. And I was able to cut $700,000 from the sidewalk repair fund to provide at least nine new police officers to combat crime. Sidewalks are important, but public safety in my my mind is more important in that case. So we, yep. we eventually put money back in the sidewalk repair fund. But that's my point is that you don't have to raise taxes to do these things. You just have to be responsible enough, just like you would. It's not rocket science in your home to balance your checkbook. Sure. But uh, but um, Greg, what, what has happened the last number of years, every year that I have covered this throughout my career, certainly this past decade is it all boils down to one thing once a year. It's and often two things. It's the debt ceiling an annual budget bill. Okay, that, that's yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. It's, you know, and every one of them 
every Republican runs on an abstract saying more or less what you said, and they get in there, and the problem is whether it's a Republican president or not, whether you have Republicans in charge in the, as, as the speaker, as the Senate majority leader, they're saying, this is the best we can get, even though it actually goes backwards. But the, they have these like objects, all oh, the Democrats gave us this and that, and they do a clean debt ceiling, clean, which is very dirty, by the way, debt ceiling suspension, um, omnibus bill, and two-thirds, three-quarters, four-fifths, depending on the year, of Republicans vote for it. And then they run for re-election and say, isn't this spending outrageous? I mean, how do we change that cycle? I mean, isn't there structurally something wrong with the Republicans that are going up there? Uh, no, th- there is. You're absolutely right. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take someone and multiple congressmen and congresswomen to just say no and just simply vote no. I mean, I don't think that we should vote for any kind of spending increase. We, from what I've read, if we if we uh, cut 13 trillion out of our budget over the next 10 years, we could balance the budget in six years. So it just takes takes someone to make those hard choices. And so we need to just simply say those that get up there. And if I get up there and I and I don't do this, then vote me out. But we need to say no to any kind of further spending. And let's just really take time to rework it and make it work. Because if we don't, we're doing a disservice to those we represent currently. And we're doing a disservice to those that we our grandkids to, to be representing in the future. Well, we're about out of time here. Where could people find uh, more information about your candidacy? Yes, thank you. So at electgreghill.com, electgreghill.com, G-R-E-G-H-I-L-L. Um, that's going to have a bunch of uh, stuff as it relates to my campaign. Also, Greg Hill for Congress on Facebook. We've got a video series, Coffee with Greg, we put out every week on several different issues that we try to dial it in on. Um, but would love to have your support and help. I'll tell you what, my cell phone is 713-582-9909. If I can champion any issues or ideas you might have, let me know, and I'll, I'll be more than happy to do so. Oh, there you have it. I didn't ask him to do that, but he gave out his <laughs> cell phone. And yeah, this audience is certainly very engaged, very much cares about these issues, the future of our country, other issues. So yeah, I mean, if you have um, any questions, certainly call and feel free. He he offered that. That is uh, Greg Hill uh, running for Congress, a border agent, very unique, running for Congress in Texas's District 22. Greg, best of luck, and we'll speak to you later. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. Well, friends... There you have it. This is our first in a series. And um, look, if there's ways you want me to do this better, if there's other structures, other ideas, feel free to email me. Um, I'll give out my email, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Um, let me know if there's other candidates you want to have on just to hear from what's out there, what what we could do better. Um, is there a way some of these candidates could be running better to distinguish themselves, moving beyond the talking points? I don't know. Um, but... You know, at the very least, I want to at least expose you to what's out there. Admittedly, my time is very short and there's a limit to how many races I could cover. I do want to try to prioritize some of the bigger Senate or gubernatorial races. They're just bigger statewide elections, more influence. Um, But we'll also cover House races as well. So send me your ideas till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.